Thank you, Madeline, for that ministry of music. Uh, tonight, this evening, uh, we will be concluding our series on memorable verses. And as we approach the end of this series, I'd like to ponder just for a quick moment the big picture of what we have been studying together. Over the past couple of months, we've ventured through a total of 28 different verses in the Bible, 28 verses total. And each verse, for the most part, was different. Each one had a different context, and each one had a different message. They were unique, and they were distinct. And though each verse was different, we looked at each one under the umbrella of a single series, a single series called Memorable Verses. You see, while each verse may have been different in context and message, they all had one shared characteristic. And that common denominator was the fact that each verse had some level of memorability. Each one had some level of memorability. So for the most part, we knew these verses. We had heard them before, and maybe if we couldn't quite quote each verse word for word, the message that each verse communicated at least sounded familiar to us. Overall, we had some prior familiarity with these 28 verses. And you know, maybe if there were a couple verses in there with which we weren't all that familiar, we learned why those verses are worthy to be remembered. And it's not because the Word of God is divided into different levels of importance, and these 28 verses are the pinnacle of what you need to know, and not because only parts of the Word of God are helpful to our Christian development. The Scriptures say very clearly that all Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. But rather, we looked at these verses because they stand out. They are particularly, particularly helpful to remember throughout our Christ-like development. All right, some of these verses, they have been verses of comfort that we can remember in times of hardship. Some of these verses have been statements of faith that we are to emulate as servants of Christ. Some of these verses are even considered to be pillars of Christianity, for example, we considered Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. We also looked at Hebrews 4.12, which says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Both of these verses are considered foundational verses to our lives lived and godliness. You see, over the course of this series, we considered verses that were memorable. That has been the common denominator. These 28 verses were memorable. So as we round out this series tonight, I would like us to consider this idea of memorability. Memorability, to be memorable. If something is memorable, it is clearly remembered. It is the idea that something is worth remembering. But I would like us to consider tonight, how well do we recall these portions of the Word of God? How often do we really put these memorable verses to memory? Further, beyond just these couple of memorable verses, how often do we really put the Word of God to memory? And perhaps more applicable for our lesson this evening is this question. How often do we remember the Lord and what his word tells us. How well do we remember the Lord? Well, from a, a wide perspective, mankind as a whole is not that great at remembering. We are creatures of forgetfulness. We forget all the time. 
This often causes problems, problems that become obstructions to our everyday livelihoods. We forget meetings and appointments. We forget our passwords. We forget to take the meat out to defrost. We forget why we went into a room. And perhaps one of the most detrimental of all, we forget our wedding anniversaries. And as a result, when these items are forgotten, our lives are made just a little more difficult, just a little more challenging. Therefore, we make use of tools to help us remember. Billions of dollars have been put into the remembrance business. We have calendars that help us remember important dates. We have phones with apps that send us notifications so that we can remember to pay bills and respond to emails. We have souvenir shops filled with little trinkets called memorabilia so that we can remember our vacations and travels. You see, if you, if you really sit down and think about it, it doesn't take long to see that we as a society have implemented a wide scope of tools to help us with our forgetfulness. We are in constant need of reminders, for we are creatures of forgetfulness. Tonight, we will be in the book of Deuteronomy, and the passage before us this evening is a passage of remembrance. It's a warning to not forget. We will be looking at the nation of Israel at a very, very unique point in their history. Israel is on the verge of the promised land, and just as they are to enter the land promised many years ago to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we stumble upon a very stern warning, a warning and command to remember the Lord. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8, or you are also welcome to follow along on the screen as we will be making use of it tonight as well. Deuteronomy chapter 8, and our memorable verse for this evening will be verse 18. So Deuteronomy 8. 18. Look with me at this, at this verse. Deuteronomy 8, 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Our theme for this evening is simply a consideration on remembering the Lord. And before we begin looking at this verse in depth, I think it would be incredibly helpful to consider the context in which this command is rooted. In other words, where does this verse fall in the great narrative of Scripture? Well, the passage before us this evening is found in the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is one of the five books of the Torah written by Moses. It is the final book of Moses in which the people of Israel are about to cross into the promised land. And leading up to this book, we observe in Exodus Leviticus and Numbers, how Moses had faithfully served the Lord by leading the people out of the land of Egypt and into the wilderness for 40 years. But now the wilderness years, they're over. A new era is on the horizon. Look with me at the first five verses of Deuteronomy chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1, it says this. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Diz Ahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel concerning, or according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Idri. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying. So this here, these first five verses, 
are the preamble to the book of Deuteronomy. These five verses quite literally set the stage for the entire book. In verses 3 and 4, we see that Israel has already begun to conquer some land. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. Specifically pay attention to verse 4. It says, In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. Here's verse 4. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Idri. So at this point, Israel had defeated two kingdoms, two kingdoms, the kingdoms of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. And these two kings ruled the land east of the promised land. Now here, here's our map, all right? Just to get our, our bearings, here's a map of the general land of ancient Israel. It's pretty small up there, but we're going to do some outlining that might, that might help us wrap our mind around what's happening here. So the Mediterranean, that's, that's over there on the left, and the Sea of Galilee is that smaller body of water near the top of the map, and the Dead Sea is that larger body of water at the bottom of the map. And it's going to be important to remember, but the Jordan River, it might be hard to see, is that blue, skinny squiggle line connecting those two seas, the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And I trust we are relatively familiar with this territory, all right, with this, with this map. So Sihon and Og, their land, land was east of the Jordan River, all right? And this here is a rough outline of where these two kings had rolled. So in the context of our passage this evening, Israel had already defeated these kingdoms, and this is the land that Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh would eventually settle in the future, but at that time has not yet arrived. So the green area, that land has already been conquered. Now the land that remains to be conquered is the promised land, and it has not yet been taken, and that is what the, the book of Joshua is all about. But for the time being, the only land that Israel owns is that green patch, and the promised land there is in the blue on the left-hand side of the Jordan River. Look with me. As we continue to look at this preamble, we see in verse 1 that Israel is quite literally on the verge of the promised land. Look with me at verse 1. It says, These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Diz Ahab. So the Arabah. The Arabah is where Israel is currently settled at the time of the, of the instruction given in this book. So the events of Deuteronomy take place while Israel is camped out in the Arabah. That is incredibly important to remember. The events of Deuteronomy take place while Israel is camped out in the Arabah. Now the Arabah is that little red area right along the Jordan River, right? Right in that little, that little red area. It's quite literally right on the border of the promised land. The land west of the Jordan River has been conquered, right? That green area, Sihon and Og. The promised land lay east. That is the blue area. So according to Deuteronomy 1.1, Israel is right on the border. They are in the Arba. The promised land is right across the river, the river. Israel is quite literally poised to take action. The conquering of the land is the clear next step. So that's, that's the historical context. That is the foundation on which this book rests. The stage is set. Israel is ready to go and conquer a land that has been promised to them hundreds of years ago. They were ready. They have been waiting for this moment for generations. Not only that, but they had a sense of momentum, right? They, they have already slayed the nations east of the Jordan River, and now the time has come to cross the river to conquer the promised land. Action is ready to be taken. It's an exciting time. It's a thrilling time. 
It is an invigorating moment in the history of Israel. The long-awaited promise is here. God's promise is quite literally right before their eyes. But there is a pause. Before any conquering takes place, there is a pause. A 34-chapter long pause. A pause called the book of Deuteronomy in which God calls Israel to remembrance. A pause in which God reminds Israel of their history, the history recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, a history in which their God, Yahweh, has been faithful. Before any action can be taken, the Lord calls Israel to remembrance. You know, Deuteronomy, the word itself, Deuteronomy means second law. It is a reminder. It's quite literally a recounting of what is already recorded. It is a call to remind Israel's past, both the events that happened and the instruction that was given. You know, the the nation of Israel is about to go through some drastic changes. They're going to settle in a land that they could call home. And we need to remember that that is something completely new. It is something completely different. Israel has never really had a real physical land that they could call home before. They had been strangers and nobads for their entire existence. And now the promise of a home was right on the horizon. That's going to be a large change. That is not the only change. Israel will also have a life of ease. Israel will have prosperity. Their lives will be comfortable. They will enjoy the blessings of earthly riches. The land that they are entering is good. Lots of change will be taking place. But God makes the people of Israel pause and consider. They're to consider their history. They're to consider the hand of God in their lives. They are to remember from where they came. And they are to remember that it is only by God's hand that they now stand on the edge of the promised land, inheriting a promise that was made long ago. Israel was not to forget their God. The book of Deuteronomy is a reminder to Israel to remain faithful to God. Israel was to remember. And that brings us to our memorable verse for this evening. Deuteronomy 8, 8, 18. Sorry, Deuteronomy 8, 18. As Israel stands on the verge of taking possession of the promised land, look with me at what they are commanded. What is it that they are never to forget? Deuteronomy 8, 18. You shall remember the Lord your God. You shall remember the Lord your God. Remember the Lord. I want to take a couple moments and consider this idea of remembering. How significant is this idea of remembering the Lord? Well, to begin, uh, we need to to know what it means to remember. In our verse, the specific Hebrew word for remember carries a pretty familiar meaning. It means to call to mind, to recall knowledge from memory. It is the ability to store thoughts in your mind and be able to recall those thoughts at any given moment. And this Hebrew word for remember is actually used over and over again throughout the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy. So this idea of remembrance or recalling the Lord is a common theme throughout the book of Deuteronomy. And in the places that we see this word remember, it is often followed with a specific point of reference. Remember the Lord for this. Remember the Lord for that. Here's the reason you are to remember. For example, for example, and I'm going to read a couple of verses and pay close attention to the reason why Israel is to remember the Lord. All right, we're going to begin with Deuteronomy 8.2. 
And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Israel was to remember how the Lord has led Israel through the wilderness these past 40 years, and how they were tested and humbled by God. Secondly, we see this word used again in the next chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 7 says, Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Again, this is the same Hebrew word, but this time a different aspect that Israel was to remember. In this particular verse, Israel was to remember their failings and how they continuously fell short of obedience to God. See this word remember again in Hebrew in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15:15 15, 15 says, "You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this day." Once again, this is the same Hebrew word for remember. But again, a different aspect that Israel was to remember. In this instance, Israel was to remember their history in Egypt, that they were slaves to another nation, and it was God who ransomed them from their captivity. Now this, this specific one, Deuteronomy 15.15, 15, is a pretty unique call to remembrance. All right? Israel was once a slave to a foreign nation, and it is God who delivered them. That's, that's very unique. Why? Because over and over in the scriptures, over and over in the scriptures, we see God reminding the nation of Israel of this. In Deuteronomy alone, we see this numerous times. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there. Deuteronomy 7.18 says, You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Deuteronomy 10, sorry, 16.3 says, You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 16.12, You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Deuteronomy 24.18, But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. And finally, Deuteronomy 24.22, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. It is a constant reminder. Constant. Israel, you were once slaves, and I, God, am the one who delivered you out of the land of captivity. Remember that. Do not forget. But it doesn't stop there. Outside of Deuteronomy, we could look at passage after passage in which God reminds Israel of their slavery. Perhaps one of the most commonly repeated occurrences is a phrase that we read right over. It rolls off our tongue and perhaps we don't give it much thought. Right before the Ten Commandments are given, God declares in Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This phrase is repeated constantly throughout Scripture. I would fail us to look at every single one. But when God declares himself as the Lord who delivered his people from Israel, he is calling the Israelites to remembrance. I am the Lord. I am your deliverer. Do not forget who I am 
and who you once were. I am the Almighty. You were a destitute people. Do not forget from where you came. Israel was to remember their God and never forget what their God has done for them, how he led them out the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. Israel was to remember all that the Lord has done for them. It is a constant reminder all throughout their history. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. But we also see that this remembrance is exclusive. Our verse says, You shall remember the Lord your God. You shall remember the Lord your God. That is Yahweh. Yahweh, the Lord, was the God of Israel. There was no other God that Israel was to remember or worship. Why? Because they didn't exist. They didn't exist. Those were fake gods. They were powerless. We're going to see in just a moment that the Lord has power to give Israel blessing. These other fake gods had no power. They were false. They had done nothing for Israel like what Yahweh has done for his people. Therefore, as Israel enters this land of prosperity, they are to exclusively put to mind the deeds of Yahweh. For he only is worthy of their memory. Therefore, God continually reminds the Israelites all throughout their history that it is he who is to be remembered. That leads us to our first point of application. In the beginning of our time together, I said that we are creatures of forgetfulness. Well, I would submit to you this evening that the thing we forget the most often is God. You know, God constantly reminded the Israelites of himself. We just looked at it time and time and time again. God reminded the Israelites to remember their Lord. He was intertwined in all aspects of their lives. He redeemed them from Egypt. He led them through the wilderness. He was slow to anger in their rebellion. He was giving them this promised land. God was quite literally Israel's everything. In the same way, we can't afford to forget God. For he too is our everything. He is master and Lord over our lives. He is worthy to be remembered for all of his goodness and his grace. But oh, how prone we are to forget the goodness of God in our lives. How prone we are to call him Lord over our lives and then forget him in our day-to-day actions and events. You see, if God truly is our Lord, if God truly is our maker, if God truly is orchestrating our lives for his purpose, why are we so quick to forget? If he truly is the sustainer of our lives, why do we fail to remember him? Why are we so quick to forget to give thanks to God when he answers our prayers? Why are we so quick to forget his, protect, his protection as we casually drive to work every day? Why are we so quick to forget his daily provision when we have food on the table, clothes on our back, and a roof over our head? Why are we so quick to forget that he has sent his son to redeem us from the consequences of sin? You see, we are so distracted by the world around us that we daily forget the one who actually matters. We continuously fall short, and it is because we are sinners. And as sinners, as creatures of rebellion, it is so easy for us to dismiss a sovereign God who is directing our every way. But if you are saved here this evening, you are dead to sin and alive through Christ. By his grace, by his spirit, by his power alone, we must follow his command. 
we must remember the Lord our God in all areas of our lives. He is to be at the forefront of our thoughts, for he is worthy. He alone is worthy. As we continue, as we continue along with our verse for this evening, we see the answer to the question of why. Why is Israel to remember their God? In this particular context, why is God worthy of Israel's memory? Well, look with me again at the next phrase in our verse. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Now, in order to fully understand this phrase, we need to consider the immediate context of this passage. This chapter, Deuteronomy 8, the whole chapter, is strictly about the dangers of prosperity. Israel, they're about to enter a very good land, a land that will produce much comfort and resources. Israel is about to enter the promised land, and it's a prosperous land. We know this. So the word wealth in this verse is referring directly to the riches that Israel will glean from the promised land. The word wealth is referring directly to the riches that Israel will glean from the promised land. We see this in the verses that precede verse 18. The verses that come directly before verse 18. Look with me at Deuteronomy 8, beginning at verse 7. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing, a land in whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So God is bringing Israel into a good land. Verse 9 says that Israel will lack nothing. They will lack no earthly resources. We know this. We hear over and over in Scripture that the promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. They will be at peace. They will be at comfort. We know this. But there's a problem. With peace, with prosperity, with ease, often comes temptation. Look with me where we left off, beginning at verse 11 here. Take care. Take care. That's an important transition statement. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out from the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Though Israel is about to experience great earthly blessing, there are warnings that accompany those blessings. When times get easy, when days become refreshing, Israel was not to let their minds grow lax. Israel was to continue to remember their Lord. You see, oftentimes when we experience ease, when we experience comfort, We tend to overlook the giver of that ease and comfort. We tend to forget. We tend to put out of our memory the source that has given us the goodness that we experience. 
right? To be rich, to be comfortable, to live in a land where life is easy is an incredible blessing from God. It really is. It really is. But if we are not careful, riches can become our downfall. Riches can be blinding. We all know the story of the rich young ruler, and we know what Christ says about him right after the encounter. He says in Matthew 19, 23, and 24, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. We are not careful. Prosperity can turn us away from God. It can start to make us believe that we have no need for God. It can turn us to forgetfulness. And when we forget God, when we fail to remember his provision, what is the outcome? Well, look with me at the very next verse that follows. Verse 17. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. See, that is the tragic outcome. When we forget God, when we fail to remember his provision, the result is self-glorification. We honor ourselves. We slowly start to believe that it is through our hard work alone that we are successful. You see, when we put God out of our minds, we start to believe that we are gods over our own lives. It is by our own hand, it is by our own power, it is by our own ability that we experience earthly blessing. I read a, an interesting how-to article the other day that was titled, How to Become a Self-Made Person. How to Become a Self-Made Person. In other words, how to make yourself a successful person. How to build yourself up to prosperity. Uh, there were a number of steps given to, uh, of how to accomplish this feat. Uh, some of them were quite interesting. But what I, what I want to point out to you this evening is the introductory paragraph. All right, the opening paragraph said this. A self-made person is one who is able to rise above their humble origins to leave behind a lasting legacy. Through sheer determination, discipline, and strength of character... A self-made person can overcome poverty or other hardships through education and hard work. Leave your mark in business, politics, or society by taking control of your life and becoming a self-made person. What the world tends to teach us is that strictly through determination, discipline, and our own power, we are able to become whatever we want. It is up to you and it is up to me to work hard and accomplish our life goals. Now, I'm not saying that determination, discipline, and hard work are bad things. Not at all. We are to work hard in all that we do. When Paul writes to the Colossians, he instructs servants to obey their masters and, as we know, in whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. The scriptures are also filled with examples of hardworking ethics and discipline. So I'm not saying that hard work is wrong. What I am saying is that if we are not careful... The blessing we experience can be credited to our own hands. Prosperity can be credited to our own hard work, to our own determination. See, that is the danger of comfort. We become proud and our attention is turned away from God. But the scriptures make it very clear. It is he who gives you power to get wealth. It is only by God's grace that we experience prosperity. Just as Israel was to remember the Lord for his steadfast provision, so too we must remember God for the great riches that we enjoy. You know, we live, 
We live in a very rich country. We have jobs, jobs that pay well. We have possessions, and a very great many of them. We must be careful. We must remember the source of our great wealth. It is the Lord. He is the one who blesses. He is the one who gives generously to us. Keep that forefront as we continue along. And now we come to our our final phrase within our memorable verse. The reason for God's generous prosperity. The reason for God's generous prosperity. Why is it that God will give Israel this beautiful inheritance of the promised land? Well, we see this in the last phrase. Deuteronomy 8.18 You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. And here it is. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You see, the reason for God's favor in allowing Israel to settle in the promised land is because of his covenant loyalty. His covenant loyalty. God's word will be fulfilled. God's word will prosper. He promised. He promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a land. We could look at passage after passage where this promise is given to generation after generation. Well, now the time has come. The fulfillment of the promise is here. The land is about to be home to God's people. We looked at that map. It's literally right across the river. All right? But don't miss this. The reason God gives this land to Israel is because, is because he is faithful to his word. The reason God gives this land to Israel is because he is faithful to his word. You see, it was not by any good deed that Israel deserved this land. Earlier, we looked at, at the different events that God commanded Israel to remember. And if you remember, we looked at Deuteronomy 9-7. And here it is again. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. That is what Israel is to remember. Why? Or You see, Israel was to remember their failings and how they continuously fell short of obedience to God. And why were they to do that? Because it was to show them that they were not worthy. Right? Israel was not worthy of this great blessing. They were a rebellious people. But you see, God had made an unconditional covenant with Abraham and his descendants. Uh, last quarter, uh, Pastor Cruz told on the life of Abraham in Sunday school. And when we got to chapter 15... Of Genesis, Pastor Cruz explained the significance of the covenant ritual that takes place in that chapter. All right, oftentimes when a covenant and a covenant essentially was a was a binding agreement. All right, and when a covenant was made between two parties, a special ceremony took place. And in this ceremony, some animals were taken and split in half, and two rows were made of these animal carcasses. The two parties would then walk through, walk through those carcasses as a symbol that they were both bound to that agreement. That agreement was set in stone. Uh, it, was, it was firm. So in chapter 15 of Genesis, God commands Abraham to set up this covenant ritual. So Abraham takes some animals, splits them in two, and makes two rows. However, in Abraham's situation, both parties did not, did not walk between the carcasses. Both parties did not walk between the animal carcasses. God alone, God alone moved between the animal carcasses, signifying that he alone was liable to the promise that was being made. God bound himself to the promise that Israel would become a great nation and they would possess the land of their own. And now the time has come. 
God's promise is going to be fulfilled. Israel will live in the promised land. Not because of Israel's good nature, not because of their faithful obedience, not because of anything that they had done, but because of God's faithfulness to his word. God's word will be fulfilled. Which leads us to our final point of application. If you are a believer here this evening, you have richly experienced the grace and the goodness of God. You are saved. God has chosen you to be his child. But we must always remember that it is not because of our own merit that we now stand in favor with God. The credit is not to our own goodwill. The credit goes to God and his word. His word will be fulfilled. In the book of John, Christ says in uh, John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And verse 28 says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. His children, God's children, will be saved. Why? Because his word says so. Not because of what you and I have done. Not because we contribute any good to our salvation. Jonathan Edwards famously said, you contribute, contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Thanks be to God who remains faithful to his word, who blesses us, though we are not deserving, who makes us prosper on this earth, though we were once rebels, who patiently waits for his elect so that all of them will be saved who establishes our place by his side in eternal glory. What God declares in his word will be fulfilled. So in conclusion, tonight we looked at a verse that challenges us to remember, to remember the Lord for his grace and his goodness to us, you and I, an undeserving people. At the beginning of our time together, I mentioned that we are creatures of forgetfulness, we understand that the scriptures very, very clearly says that we are to remember the Lord. But oh, how often we forget. We may go home tonight, wake up tomorrow, and forget what the word of the Lord taught us today. We constantly forget. We forget the Lord on a regular basis. But at the beginning of our lesson, yes, I did mention that we are creatures of forgetfulness, but I also explained how we have implemented tools in our lives to help us remember we have phones and calendars and memorabilia of all sorts. Well, just as we make use of tools in our lives to help us remember the small things, so too the scriptures show us ways that we can remember the Lord in our daily lives. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this may be the most well-known passage in all the book of Deuteronomy, the great Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, that is God's word, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God is saying to Israel, my word shall be an intricate part of your everyday lives. You shall teach your children my word. 
You shall talk about my word in your everyday conversation, not only in the comfort of your house, but in the market, in the city, at your, your occupation. When you go to bed and when you wake up, my word shall be the topic of conversation. And not only that, but you shall physically wrap my word around your body so that you do not forget. Israel, my word shall be as important to you as the breath that you breathe. God's word had to be a priority for the people of Israel. So for us, how are we to effectively remember the Lord? Well, God's word must be a priority in our lives as well. You know, we are so distracted by the world around us that his word often takes a back seat. You know, we, we read this command in the great Shema here, and it sounds absurd, right? Was Israel really supposed to speak about God's word as they were falling asleep and waking up? Were they really supposed to tie God's word around their forehead? Yes, they were. God's word had to be forefront in their lives. That is how important the word of God is to our everyday lives. We need it. We need to be just as committed as the people of Israel were commanded. We need to be teaching our children the Word of God on a daily basis. We need to be conversing about the Word of God. We need to physically remind ourselves of the presence of God's Word in our life. For if we do not, we slowly forget the Lord our God. We fail to remember the goodness and the grace with which He so richly blesses us. God's Word must be a priority, and it must be priority number one in our lives. So, as we close our series on memorable verses, I would just like to leave you with this question to consider. Is the Lord truly memorable in your life? Is the word of the Lord truly memorable in your life? Israel, on the verge of the promised land, was to remember the great acts of their God and how he redeemed them from the land of Egypt. They were to remember and not forget. May the Lord's goodness in our lives, the health that we enjoy, the prosperity that we possess, and his word that he has given us be ever in our thoughts. And as a result, may our thoughts be ever glorifying to him. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We've looked at your word in depth over these last couple months, looking at memorable verses, verses that stand out to us. Well, Lord, we, we pray that we will we'll know your word, that we will study it deeply so that more than just these 28 verses is what we can call to memory. But we pray that you, who you are, your character, and what your word tells us will be forefront in our lives. It'll be, it'll be priority number one so that we can recall it and so that we can remember you. Lord, when, when we do forget you, when we do forget your word, I pray that you will forgive us. Pray that by your spirit we'll get right back on track and continue memorizing, continue reading your word, and continue being faithful to you because you are faithful to your word. May we learn from the Israelites and their failings that you only are worthy of our time, worthy of our effort, worthy of our priorities. As we go about this week, Lord, I pray that uh, you will be glorified, that you will be honored in all that we say and all that we do. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, and we are dismissed.
All right, just a quick announcement. Uh, the senior choir will be practicing in here in about 10 to 15 minutes, so if you could slowly maybe make your way into the narthex, that, that would be great. Thanks.